Good morning. It's good to actually be here and to this point, it's been a bit of time coming in my head and for you guys as well, but I just want to say it's been a great week so far and as you guys have been out enjoying the sun, if you don't know me, I'm Matt, but I've been in here kind of enjoying the coolness of this building. It has swings and roundabouts where this actually pays off in the hot weather. But I uh, hope you've been enjoying it. hope you're having a great time. Um, I'd love to get to know you. Just come up to me at the end, have a chat with me. Uh, I'd love to hear a bit of your story. But if you don't know me, I'm, I'm big into trivia. The more obscure, the better, actually. Okay, so maybe you knew this already. Maybe this would have come in handy at the pub quiz the other night, last week or so. But one of the things that I found really interesting, did you know that Google was originally named Backrub? Okay, backrub. Could you imagine typing that into your, into your address bar and trying to find backrub? I think that would be completely crazy these days, but it changed to kind of play on the, one, like the, the binary code and so on. But the next one that I have been feeling this week more than anything else, Cheryl and uh, my boys aren't here because Elijah is actually taking a reaction to the measles MMR vaccine. So he is like fully out. We thought heat rash to begin with but he is fully out from head to toe in red spots. And last night was interesting, but over a a new baby in the first year will cost, it sounds really bad, but will cost parents over 750 hours of sleep. That's over two hours a night, okay? So that is kind of crazy as well. And here's one that I kind of really like next actually. Apple in 1986 decided to branch out from tech and go into the clothing business. But I actually think, I was going to say that people would not wear these. I actually think that people would these days. Like, could you imagine Ryan walking up to Prince Charles wearing that jumper instead of the Levi's jumper? Okay, that would be pretty impressive. Uh, But I think they come back into fashion, you know, as everything else does. So the last one I kind of want to look at is one that Stephen Fry and all of his wisdom and QI brought up one day. I kind of used to watch QI religiously, and I loved the gleaning the information from it. But it was the fact it was a stupid law. It was a law that said if you, it was illegal to die in the Houses of Parliament. I do not know how you enforce that. Do they lift you up if they look there's any sign that you're about to die, lift you up, bring you out, and set you on the curb? But how did they do that? But you saw it in the tragic incidents of the, the police officer who died in the attacks. And there was a state funeral for him. Because when you die in the House of Parliament, you are entitled to a state funeral. So it's illegal to die to prevent that cost, to prevent that kind of taxpayer's money going towards a state funeral for a person. And we're going from stupid laws maybe into the greatest law. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. If you have your Bibles, great. Uh, If not, it's going to be on screen as well. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
I don't know if you know much about Pharisees and so on. If you remember your GCSE or E, I'm sure you remember the jokes that went with it as an RE teacher, okay? Sadducees and all that, I'm not getting into that. But the Pharisees were literally meant separated people. They were better than everybody else. These were guys that were so into the rule keeping that they made up rules in order to keep the rules. And in the Torah, there's over six, there's 613 commands that the Pharisees adhere to. Some of them crazy. And then they made up these verbal laws, as I said, to keep it. So one of the rules was you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath day. We all know that one. Keep the Sabbath day. Holy rest. We love Sabbath here. Hence Sabbath Sundays. Looking forward to that one. But on the Sabbath, if your son was in the road of a chariot or a, a, a horse that was coming by, you could lift him up because that was immediate danger. But if your son was in the road playing with a stone that he was holding, that actually was seen as work. So you couldn't go and lift your son out of the way of the oncoming horse or cart. You had to somehow get him to drop the stone before you could lift him in the order not to break the Sabbath or not to uh, do any work on the Sunday and therefore keep the Sabbath day holy. It's a bit crazy. It's a bit bizarre. Stupid laws maybe and went over the top. But this is what they hear to you. And the laws of Moses were big in Jewish culture. They wanted to keep them. They wanted to adhere to them. And so whenever the Pharisees come up with this question, it's meant to be the most controversial, crowd-splitting question of the day. And what happens next is amazing. I love what Jesus does. He takes their love of the Torah and turns it into a Torah of love. He changes the perspective on it. And Jesus says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first command. So we have love God, but why does Jesus highlight this one commandment instead of 612 other commands? See, he does it not to disclude or discredit any other command, but he does it in order to say that actually if we get this right, then other, all other laws and other, all other commands will fall into place. Because if we love God with all of our heart, then we will want to serve him. We'll want to follow his commands and everything will slot into place. He's saying that this is foundational to every other 612 commands in the Torah. And the question that whether they knew it or not that the Pharisees were asking Jesus was one about spiritual formation. It's a spiritual formation question. How do we make up this life that we're called to live to? And when my gran, she is Alzheimer's right now, I'm living with my mom and dad, but whenever my gran is uh, cognitive and, and reasoning well, you know, she would always ask me this one question. And before, whenever I was preaching, she'd always ask me when I was preaching, what I was going to speak on, and she'd say this, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid, okay? It was lovely. She was such an encourager, but... Jesus breaks it down. Jesus breaks it down for us. He does the kiss. He keeps it simple for us because we're stupid, okay? He does that for us. And he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the Pharisees, whenever they start to hear this being spoken back to them, they're, they're instantly clued in. This is like us repeating the Lord's prayer when it comes to assemblies every day in school. They knew it inside out. Because this, what Jesus quotes to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, is the Shema. I don't know if you know the Shema at all, but the Shema literally means, listen up here, this is important. And what 
it is, is the most important prayer in the Jewish life and culture. So Rabbi Levi III states that parents were required to train their children in, rec- in reciting the Shema as soon as they could articulate words. So as soon as they could speak, the first thing that they were meant to teach them was Shema, which is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first prayer that they're taught. Every time you got into your house, every time you got up from bed, every time you sat down, every time you got up from that chair again, you said and had to say the Shema. Because it was constantly meant to be on their lips. It was constantly meant to be on their minds. They even wrap in Jewish prayers, they wrap it around their wrists. They tie it to their forehead. So it will be constantly the first thing that they remember. It's constantly on their mind. It's constantly what they're doing. It's out of the action of love when they tie it out on their hands. Like this is my strength. They tie it on their arms because that's where the strength comes from. But it's that constant reminder that every action, everything that they do should be centered and focused on loving God and out of that, everything else flows. So this is the first prayer that there is sight. But then he does something that in the next breath that is completely unheard of. He adds to it. So the Shema is this important prayer in Jewish culture. And he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There might have been audible gasps at that point in that room. Who knows? But what Jesus does is he says, it would be like me adding the Shema to the Nicene Creed here and the Apostolic Creed in Redeemer. It would be like adding on the 11th command or adding another verse into the Lord's Prayer. You just don't do it. You don't mess with the Shema. And what happens here is he adds, Jesus adds this tiny but life-giving, life-altering, culture-changing verse. One that they already knew in Leviticus chapter 9, love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus says the second is like it, he means it's, it's just as important as the first. He puts it right up there with loving God and loving others. And that's why he says in verse 40, if you get these two things right, then all the other laws and all the other prophets hang in these two commands. See, love God and love others, it's simple. It seems so straightforward. But buried in this truth, this ancient text, is this creed that is life-altering, wisdom that we should live by and live out in our own lives. And you shall love is the first part of it. You shall love the Lord your God. And we all know different types of love. We, we know the Greek version of love and so on. There's, there's, phila, there's phila and there's agape and there's eros and there's, I can't remember the last one but it doesn't matter. You guys know it already. But there's then we've diluted it down over time. There's true love. There's love actually. There's, dare I say it, love island. And some of you guys are probably watching that as your guilty pleasure. But there's love island. We've diluted it over time. This idea of love and what it means. And what the Shema does is bring us back to this amazing love that God has for us. It's not a warm or fuzzy feeling or sensation, but the word love here in this text is called ahava. And I might not be saying that right, but I'm good with that, okay? Ahava. And to be fully understand how we are to love God, we need to grasp his love for us. Ahava is a loaded term that has been used to describe the love that God has for his people. 
Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses seven to eight says, God showed affection for you. He chose you because he has Ahava for you. So God doesn't love because we earned it or we deserve it. He loves because it originates in God's character because he is love. You've probably maybe like me grown up singing the old kind of Sunday school songs, okay? If you have, you might know that God's love is like a circle. I'm not gonna sing it because my brother got all those genes, okay? I'm gonna save you from that. But God's love is like a circle going round and round. There's no start point, there's no end, but actually it's so true. Jeremiah chapter 31 verses three says that, states that God is loved with an everlasting love. It has no end because it has no beginning. It's like a circle. But God's love is not a feeling. His ahava is so much stronger than that because it's also an action. It's something that God chooses to do. He chooses to love us. It doesn't matter what we've done or what we bring to the table. He chooses to love us anyway. It's not a sentiment, it's an action. And for some of us, we struggle with this. We struggle with his acceptance of why he chooses to love us. Because maybe we've never experienced it or we don't deem ourselves worthy enough of it. And we can have a distorted view of the Father's heart for us. Doesn't seem to line up with this type of Ahava love. And we can, we just sang reckless love of God, who chases me down and fights till I am found. And that, that love that, that that song speaks of is something that God has been revealing to me since I've been the proud father of two boys. This term Ahava has, can also refer to a, like a parental love. From the moment that I held my two boys, something changed in my heart. I can't really describe it very well, so I'm gonna try, but if you have a family, if you have sons, daughters, you might know this yourself. But we were going through the transition, and I use that term lightly because we're going to one to two children. And I was worried, we were worried about how on earth are you gonna love the next one as much as you love the first one. And there's this idea of how am I gonna split my heart in two to really love Elijah well? But actually what happens in that moment is you're not splitting your heart in two, it actually multiplies. There's a whole different pool of love that comes for the second child, that comes along and that's the father's heart. It's not the fact that he splits his love or his affections for us. It's his pool of love is completely different and new for each and every one of us. That's why he loves us so intensely. That's why he loves us beyond that we could ever comprehend or imagine. I'm just getting a glimpse of that because in this photo that comes up, hopefully, there's me holding Elijah a couple of hours old with Noah beside me. I'll be honest, I'm fighting back the tears because I'm blessed. I understood at that point what it meant to just love because they exist. Choosing to love, getting a glimpse of that father's heart. And it's crazy that my heart didn't split, it multiplied. And I understood that idea of that unwavering, undiluted, unconditional love that God has for us, that I have a love and they don't need to do anything. They don't need to exist. Elijah kept us up ridiculous hours last night. He's peed, pewed, and, or he's peed, pooed, and spewed all over us. But it doesn't matter because we choose to love him because that's our heart. My love is sufficient for everything that comes my way, I hope. 
Still, he's still only one. We'll get there. But I hope that I have the same pool of love that the Father has for me. And the fact that I have a love is the same love that John 3 verse 16 speaks of when God so loved the world that he sent his son. It's the same kind of reckless love that goes out and brings us back to him. It's so, it's so deep. It's so just uncom- unimaginable and so deep. As I just can't go beyond that right now. It just wrecks us. And the rest of the Shema is actually Israel's response to the Father's heart, the Father's love for us. It's a response to this radical love that God has for us. And he is calling, Jesus is calling Israel and the people and us into this love of the Father to experience it afresh. And the rest of the Shema then is the outworking of this Father's love for us and how we bring it to ourselves and to other people around us. Because you see, loving God and loving others, as Jesus so nicely put it when he said the second is like it, are inextricably linked together. You can't do one without the other. You can't love somebody without loving God. And so you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the same word that is found in love your neighbor is exactly the same as our love for God. So it's actually mirroring the love of God that we have for the Father to the people that we come in contact with. It's not different. It flows out and just spills out of that relationship with God and goes to other people. And so you can see our English words do raise the bar when it comes to God's love for us and what he's calling us to. But I think the Hebrew takes it to a whole new level. And I've kind of been working through the Hebrew this week because I've just enjoyed doing it because it brings a beauty, it brings a fresh approach to this love. So you're to love God with all of your heart. The word for heart is lev. And the Hebrew, they knew about organs in the body. They knew about the heart and what it did to sustain the body. But they had no idea or concept of the mind. They had no idea or concept of the brain whatsoever. So they thought that all thinking, reasoning, and intellectual being came from the heart. That's why whenever um, Solomon is, is asking about a heart of understanding, he prays that he would know between good and evil. He asks for a heart to discern. Whenever it says that in Proverbs 16, verse 12, the wise in heart are called discerning. It's the heart that makes those intellectual decisions. It's the heart which decides good from bad because that's where they thought the brain, the processing happened. So not only the heart needs to sustain life, it's where they thought, it's where they made sense of the world, it's where they felt emotion as well. It actually was the center of their beings, their bodies, and it was where they just experienced a heavy heart, joy, peace, Happiness, worry, anxiety, it was the epicenter of their whole being. But the fourth thing that the heart was responsible for was their actions, the desires of their heart, what they choose to act on, the choices that they made in life. The thing that you've done well, your shortcomings, all came down to the actions and the desires of their heart, how they chose to live out their lives. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, After all, everything you do flows from your heart. All things flow out of your heart, the control center, the nervous center for the Jewish people. 
So this week, I kind of was just in this space and just started to pray over what was going to happen this, this Sunday. And one of the things which I experienced was something that was really strange. I was just praying, I was, I was sitting down and I decided then to lie down, as you do, okay, just in God's presence. And, and what happened then was, was strange. I realized that I was suddenly frozen on the floor. And my first thought that came to mind was I, I complete and utter knowledge of what was going on around me. I thought, I can't move. I thought, this looks as if I'm sleeping, lying on the floor on the job. If Dave walks in, like, I'm done for, okay? So I tried to muster all my strength to kind of move and get up from that place, and I just couldn't. I was just frozen in that spot. But once I got over the initial weirdness, once I started to hear these words that were being spoken over me, I heard the positive, I heard the negative that had been passed down through the years, and even though the positive outweighed the negative, I still heard I still was frozen with fear. I was still crippled by what uh, I had allowed to come into my life and have a hold in it. God had just explained that this is what some of us are feeling like in the room right now. That some of us are crippled with fear, anxiety, worry, because we don't know. We realize that God, yes, has spoken into our lives, and he's planted desires deep in our heart, and we want to see those come to fruition, but we're crippled with that anxiety. We're afraid to do anything, and we're stuck in this moment because we're, we're so conscious of failure. We're so conscious of shame in the past, and it's stopping us from entering into what God has for us. Some of us are working through what I just felt God was saying. Some of us are working through the mental health issues. And the voices that we've heard of failure that have come against us, it's okay to feel broken. It's okay to be in that place. But the Hava, the Hava love of the Father heals a broken life, heals a broken heart. He restores both heart and mind. And I feel like God wants to do some of that this morning as well. Just the fact that he wants to free you from that fear that's been crippling you, that's been holding you down whenever God has said, I have given you a plan, a purpose. And one of my big things that I want to see happen just personally is people walking into their destiny. God releasing fear from people in order to walk like the two spies. that say, yes, God, you've given us this land. We want to go in and take it. And the other 10 said, no, because we don't have the faith. But God is releasing people to go into their destiny. And I, want, I believe that God is going to do that this morning. So I want to, later on, I'm going to ask people to come up and pray. And I want you, if that's you this morning, where you just feel absolutely crippled with anxiety, fear, something that's been holding you back, that even you can't put your finger on it, but you know it's in your past, come up and get prayer for that because a loving Father wants to heal that. He wants to take that off you this morning. He wants you to step into the destiny that God's got and placed in your life. So when it comes to the loving Father, the Shema calls us to devote every day to God and our whole body, our whole mind, our feelings, our desires, our futures, and even our failures. We're to love God with all of it. The next thing that comes up in the Shema is love God with all of your soul. So the word for soul is nefesh. Slightly easier to say, nefesh. It's love God with all of your soul. But the fact is that the word soul doesn't exist in Hebrew language. There's no word for it. 
they do have a concept of it, but they would call it nefesh instead. But we know it from Greek philosophy where we have this immortal presence in our bodies that is released upon death and exists beyond that. But the word nefesh here refers to something completely different. It refers to your throat. So the nefesh is your throat. That's one of the meanings of in, in the Bible of throat. And the Israelites are walking in the wilderness. They're just experienced the exodus from uh, Egypt. And they're hungry and they're thirsty. And they say to God, God, we're thirsty. Our nefesh has dried up. There was melons and cucumbers in Egypt. Why did you bring us out of there? We had everything we needed to satisfy our nefeshes there. You see, the nefesh, the throat, is the porthole for all life in the human body. It controls what goes in and what comes out of it. Your oxygen going in, your carbon dioxide coming out, your words that come out of your mouth, the food that goes in. It's the gateway to life, your nefesh. It has probably a slightly different meaning here than what it's, we originally might pick up as the throat, but it actually has the being of the, the whole person, the being. So Jacob and his family, there were 33 nefeshes. There was 33 beings. So the word nefesh here in the Shema is saying that it's your whole being. Love God with all of your being, all of your existence, all of your life. Devote your whole physical existence to God. One who grants us these amazing bodies in the first place, that's what he's calling us to do in the Shema. It's about you taking your time, your talents, the gifting that God has placed on you, your experiences, your limitations, the times that you've even royally screwed up in life, i.e. your story, and realizing that yes, those crappy times that you experienced sucked and God didn't want that for your life. I think that's one thing that we even believe is a lie that God allows those things to happen to us because he wants them to happen to us. No, God wants good and perfect gifts for his, for his children. As a father, I can relate to that. I never want to see Elijah with measles or any kind of rash. I want to take that away from him as much as I can, but I know in that moment, in my limitations, I can't. So what God is doing, he says, yes, there's times that there's things that have happened in your life that I can still take and I can still work for good. And I know that's a, that's a phrase that we've heard used time and time again, but it's true. And I want to say that your narrative can still bring hope and purpose to other people's. Your limitations could inspire people to go further, farther than you ever have. The existence and experience that you've had will speak wisdom to the next generation. I think that that's something which I'd love to see happen where we don't just keep what we have learned to ourselves, but we get alongside the previous generation, the people that are coming behind us, and we actually inspire, mentor, and guide them and shape them on their journey, and that we learn from the people that have gone ahead of us. Not the fact that we are realizing that those have got it all together, but the, completely the opposite, that they have made failures at times, they knew and have learned from their mistakes, and we can glean wisdom from those. So I want to encourage you guys to come alongside each other. I want you to encourage each other in life as we go about it. If you are at a further existence and stage of life, then great. You can impart to the younger generation. You can learn and glean from the older generation. I want to see that overflow, and it should naturally happen as we encourage and are for each other, cheering each other on inside and outside of church. Give your gifts, your time, your talents, your creativity, 
and it could bless countless peoples in a way that we never thought was possible in a church building. But I want to use an, ex- an illustration to make a personal point and use a national illustration to make a personal point. In Northern Ireland, we're very good at ruling ourselves out, thinking that we don't have anything to offer, thinking that we don't bring anything to the table, but that is far from the truth. And we are subdued because of shame or fear or because we just aren't good enough in our own minds. Americans don't have that problem. It's fine. They are all guns blazing, good, for, good to go. And any Americans in the room, I love you. And we're for you. Just looks different, okay? But we can learn something from them. We can learn something from that attitude. And taking a per- making a personal point through a national example, Northern Ireland, our wee country, okay? But I didn't Gannon speaking there, okay? Our wee country, I'll, exp- I'll, I'll translate there, okay? Has something to offer. It's actually leading the way and has been leading the way in conflict resolution for years. There was a girl, I'm not sure if you're here again this week, who's actually overstudying conflict resolution from America here in Belfast. Yeah, you're here? Yes? Yeah, brilliant. Sorry, I didn't catch your name. I didn't remember. But yeah, she, all the way from America, yes? Sorry, <laughs> again, about the American thing. But Europe, all Europe, all of you? Sweet. Ah, okay. Sorry, guys. Check the audience next time. <laughs> Love you guys. My brother lives there. Okay. So, so moving on, but back to Northern Ireland. I'm good. But we're leading, the, we're leading actually that conversation about conflict resolution. My friend actually got flown out to Jordan to speak because he works in the Shankle as a te- primary school teacher. It's crazy. He got put up in uh, Israel. He got to go around all the sites and to see it and then speak at a conference because of the conflict that we have seen happen in our land. And yes, this isn't a history la- lesson, it's, but it's out of the pain that other people have walked out of the journey that other people have experienced, that we can actually speak a story of peace, freedom, of restoration. So that other people don't have to walk through that once more. That other people can learn from our mistakes, learn from what we've actually endured and come out of. And it's the same for us. It's the same for us as well. Because our nephesh is we offer our whole beings, we offer our capabilities, our limitations, the issues that we've had to walk through, the problems that we've suffered, and it brings hope and a joy, hopefully, and hopefully tells a different story of life and of people that can step into something amazing because we've walked through that. We've come out the other side because we have a God who loves us, is for us, and who goes and wins us back. That's what offering our nephishes look like. And I don't know what that looks like for Donegal Street yet. I don't know what that looks like for your office when you go into work this week. But what it looks like for us is that we're willing to say, yes, God, what you're calling us to do, I'm willing to give you all of my being to it. I believe that God is actually doing something here and is already doing uh, amazing things in your hearts. And I'm gonna get to that very shortly. So let me, let me pick up the next part of what God is asking us to love him with all of our strength or might, it's said here, which the word is mahod. And it's translated, and the only place it's translated as strength is the Shema, and we don't know why. But mahod is actually an adverb, 
And it's used to intensify the verb, the doing action of loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all our mind. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 6, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, sorry, it's six times God says that whenever he made something, it was good. On the seventh time God made it, he said it was mahod good, which is very good. So the word mahod could be used to intensify a meaning, as I said. And mahod just intensifies the Shema. So the final way that we're loved God isn't a way at all, but it's in every way. It's not just in your heart, in your soul, but it's in every aspect of your being, everything. It means to love God in every possible opportunity or capacity to honor God and to love our neighbor. And we're called to love others. God has pled, if God has placed a people group in your heart, that's a good thing that he's planted on your heart. It's a good thing that God has given you a passion and a vision for, to see, for example, and I just, I wanna do this and I know that this might be awkward for some of you, but I wanna, I wanna call out a few people groups and there'll be more people groups that I won't mention, but if God has put a passion and a desire to work with these people groups, to see something amazing happen, this is what I think it looks like for Donegal Street, for Belfast and for Northern Ireland, right here where he plants visions, dreams, passions in our own lives, in our own hearts so that we can honor God, to love him in every aspect with all of our muchness, wherever we go. So this is maybe gonna be awkward for you. Don't just step into it, be embraced, be loved by the community here at Redeemer. But if God has given you a passion for, say for example, kids, for youth, for parents, for orphans, for widows, for homeless people, for everyone else, for asylum seekers, for the poor, for the downcast, for those with mental health issues, would you just stand? And if I have forgotten a people group, please just stand if God has placed that in your heart. So just want to take this time to honor that, to say thank you to God for that passion. Always takes one to stand first and then it starts to ripple effect. So go for it. It's good. Thank you for being brave. I want to just pray over you and for you at this moment. God, you know the people groups that are represented here. You know the passions that you put in these people's hearts. You know how and when that passion is going to fan into and spark something new and creative. Lord, I pray for the culture, Lord, that we would be able to speak into, Lord, that we would be able to change. I pray, Lord, that we would actually just even, as we're standing here, Lord, that we would download a fresh plan, a fresh vision of what it looks like, Lord, as we step out to love you where you've called us, to the people that you've called us to, to love you with all of our nefesh, to love you with all of our love, to love you with all of our muchness, Lord. I thank you for so many people standing, Lord, and saying, yes, you've called me to something. And Lord, it doesn't matter where each one of us work. It doesn't matter where, what we do, but that, that's the beauty of it, Lord, that you take us with our yes and our willingness to love you and you just work through us and work with us in order to create something beautiful that redeems this city, redeems Donegal Street, 
that blesses this community, that speaks of love of the Father's heart spilling out and going into the community. And it starts with us. It flows through us. And I want to pray for, this is going to sound harsh, but I want you to take it in the love that it's meant to be. But if we're called to love God and love others, then it shouldn't just be a people group that we're called to love. It should be people. The people that we come in contact with, the people that we daily meet every single day of our lives, the people that we walk past as we come to work, as we go away, and we, we've ignored at times, we become, as Jillian said, numb to some of them. The stories that we hear about the, t- the, the ship on the Mediterranean that can't go after those migrants because there's, there's problems with uh, plot, political kind of bodies and, and not wanting to take those in. The people that are on our streets in Belfast who are struggling to find homes because they've just had to seek a different lifestyle. I just pray for, I'm gonna get everybody to stand if that's possible, just so we, if everybody would just take their, stand up please, yeah. If you're feeling okay with that, just everybody stand, because this is something which, if we love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of that, all of our beings, then we should also be stepping into this. It doesn't have a difference because this is what we're called to. So as good and as wonderful as the first group of guys that were standing and take this in the love and grace it's meant, we all have a call to the people that we come in contact with. There's no opt out of this. It's all in. If we love God, then it should spill over and mirror into every person that we come in contact with. And I'm guilty of not doing it myself. It's hard at times, but that's what the grace and the love of Jesus comes in and helps and the Holy Spirit helps to actually do that and sustain that. So God, I pray for everyone here. I pray for the thought of inadequacy that's in the room right now. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd speak against it. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you bring fresh vision, fresh knowledge, and fresh anointing of your presence into our lives. That this love, this I have a love, would you spill out, Lord. Let us know that afresh, Lord. Let us know what your love truly means for us. And Lord, as we do that, as we experience that, Lord, would it spill out into the people we come in contact, that we would love others with the same love that you love us. That we would bring life change, community change, culture change to this place because we carry your kingdom culture. We go beyond the normal because we bring your extraordinary and amazing, all-encompassing love with every part of our being, every part of our muchness. Amen. You guys can sit because I've got one more thing that I want to tie in really quickly. But the last thing, and this might help us as we do this together, is not only love God, love others, but it's love yourself. It seems strange that this is a foreign concept to most of us because we're called to love others. We get that, we can understand that we're called to love God. That all equates nicely for us. But it says the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And I have passed over that last part for years because it didn't compute with me. It never actually resonated in my heart. Why should I love myself? And you guys might be doing this better at Redeemer with the whole kind of alone monastery kind of monastic lifestyle, you know. And this is one of the things which drew me to it, drew me to Redeemer and what we're doing here. 
because you guys are encouraged to spend time with the Father. And that follows the example that Jesus set. He was the most selfless person, but he was also selfish at times. You see, whenever he had actually poured out into community, he went to be with his father. He went up a mountain after he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He went out in a boat to be by himself. You see, at times and times again, he, he plugs out of community to go and plug into his father to be restored, to be refreshed, to be filled up. Because if you keep giving out, there's nothing left to give at some point. And we wonder why we're tired. We wonder why we're frustrated when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to loving others, because we don't love ourselves well. We forget about us, but there's only so much of us that we can give. And in Psalm 42, it says, David got this, the deer pants for the water, so my nephesh pants after you. My nephesh thirsts for God, for the living God. But we don't do anything about it. Dungannon's coffee game is not strong, okay? Let me just say that. One, one coffee shop just sprung up, and there was hope that this was the revival of coffee shops in Dungannon. But I went in after a couple of months thinking it's all established now. Not like established, wish it was, but it's all established. Everything's going smoothly, and I asked for a pour-over. I thought, we're branching out in Dungannon. Great, we're not just doing flat whites anymore. I'll go for a pour-over, V60, thank you very much. By the way, the barista, the barista, singular, is not in today. We're not sure how to do that. We can offer you a AeroPress. But right, okay, save the day with an AeroPress, no problem, we'll try that. Sat down with my cup of coffee, and everything was going well, everything tasted great, until the final cup, the final, dra- uh, the final sip, where all the drags of the coffee granules came into my mouth. I know, I wanted to vomit at that point. I don't know how it happened. I think she must have just forgot about the filter paper in it all, but I just, I don't know, okay? That the, the bit at the bottom of the air press was enough of the filter to keep the coffee grounds out. I don't know what happened, but I regretted ever taking that cup of air press. And whenever she came over, we do the Northern Irish thing where we say, yeah, it was lovely. Thank you very much for trying, yeah. <laughs> Through my coffee gritted teeth, you know. But that's what we offer people. We offer the last dregs of, of ourselves at times because we're so poured out. And we lie to people saying that, yes, we're good when actually, in fact, we're bitter, we're, we're actually tired. And all of the love of the Father, the Hava, had been filtered out of us. And we got nothing left to give. And so, if we don't love ourselves, how are we meant to love others? Peter, let me get this right though. Peter Scazzaro from Emotional Healthy Spiritually wrote, the fact to which we love ourselves and respect ourselves is the extent to which we will be able to love and respect others. See, it starts with us. If we can't love ourselves well, we're never gonna love others because we're gonna be so tired, so poured out. And yes, we package it up and we're gonna be faithful, we're gonna be servants to God. And I've done it before where I've been tired, bitter, broken, And I've dressed it up as a, I have to be faithful to what God has called me to. I've even had the joys of hiding behind a job. It's a job for me. I have to go. I have to be there. I have to do it. But ultimately, there's nothing left to give there. So what God is calling us to in all of his wisdom is to be selfish in order to be selfless. 
that we love ourselves well, that we spend time with the Father. So that the state, so that whenever we come to with the Father, we hear his words breathing over and in life into us. So this summer, I want to challenge you quite quickly before we wrap up, is that you would actually spend time, that you would slow down, that you would take time out like Jesus did to be alone with the Father, that you would connect to him, that you would find balance in your life and find the balance between Mary and Martha, where there's not just full of doing things, but you're there sitting at Jesus' feet. And that will bring life, meaning, beauty, and clarity to your life. Start practicing loving yourself daily, weekly, monthly, whatever you've got time to fit in. But the more time you spend with God, allowing yourself to listen to you and, and to breathe in the words of affirmation of the Father, that you're loved, that you're cherished, that you are an amazing delight in God's eyes, that you are entitled to exist. As you allow those words to flow over you, the lies that you once believed, the lies that crippled you in fear will fall off you. I want to finish by saying the Shema together. Hopefully be on screen behind me. But it starts with us and it flows through us to our community, into our life, into every aspect of our being, our hearts, and all of our muchness. So if you would stand and say it with me, and then we'll move into the Eucharist. You, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And you know the next part. And love your neighbor as yourself. Left that off. But it's just as important. So as we come and we partake of the Eucharist right now, I want you to actually think about this love of the Father. Think about the love and the relationship that you have, this reckless love. As we sing it, that he goes back and finds us, that he brings us back to him. I don't know what stage you're at in that. And I just want to give a wee bit of uh, privacy to people here. So if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes and just give people the space here to respond. There are people here that are dealing with, I said, that fear, that crippling anxiety and, of, and, and uh, issues with mental health. And I believe God wants to break that off you this morning. God wants to release you from that. God wants you to enter into new life with him and to experience the have a love of the Father. But for those who you put yourself down so many times thinking you've got nothing to offer, those who didn't stand or those who even did stand as well, the dreams and the desires that God has placed in your heart, if you are actually at a point where you don't know what to do next, would you put up your hand? Where you're still, thank you, thank you. Where you need just, thank you, a fresh pouring out of the Father of wisdom, thank you. Of direction, of purpose even as well. Would you come and receive prayer as well this morning? And the last thing, for those of you who are feeling drained and you're thinking, God, I've got nothing more to give. I've got nothing more to offer. For those of you who need to be selfish today, in order to be selfless, would you put up your hand and just receive? Thank you. What we want you to do this morning is to step into the grace and mercy of the Father. 
It's okay to be selfish in order to then be selfless. That's what Jesus did time and time again. So those who are working through that, any one of those things and anything else, come forward. Don't worry, whenever the band start to play, we're just gonna start partaking in the Eucharist, come up, receive the bread, receive the wine. This is the ultimate selfless expression that Jesus did for us. Of how he died for us and how he just brings us into life. So just worship, thank God for it, come forward, receive prayer. The ministry team will be here on my right. They'll be here all the time. So just when you're ready.